Welcome to the interview edition of the TSN MMA Show. This is the compilation of interviews that have been done over the course of the week. Some of these are exclusive to the podcast. Others available on tsn.ca slash UFC, as well as our YouTube page, TSN Tube. Thanks for tuning in today. Some interviews to get to. The two headliners for this weekend's UFC Fight Night card, Anderson Silva and Uriah Hall, join us on the show, as well as the king himself, Bobby Green. And we catch up with Gerald Mearshart. Uh, I believe this is the first interview he's done since his loss to Hamzat Shemaev, uh, aside from doing the MMA Roasted podcast, which you uh, might want to check out as well. But uh, we appreciate Gerald's time. It's nice uh, hearing his candid thoughts on what went wrong in his fight with Shemaev, uh, Shemaev's upcoming fight with Leon Edwards, and uh, when Gerald is hoping to get back into the cage. So uh, let's uh, let's roll out these interviews, and I will say that uh, listener discretion is advised. There is some coarse language in some of these interviews. So uh, enjoy. We'll go Anderson Silva, Uriah Hall, Bobby Green, and Gerald Mearshart in that order. Appreciate you listening to the show, and uh, here are our interviews from this past week. It's been an honor watching the career of Anderson. The Spider Silva might be his very last fight this Saturday, so make sure you're tuning in because you don't want to miss a piece of history. Although I've been hearing you in interviews lately, Anderson, it seems like you're not willing to close the door definitively just yet. Wow, I'm very, I'm very excited for take this fight. You know, maybe this, yes, my last fight in UFC, and let's go see. You know, I'm, I'm very happy. You know, and I'm very uh, exciting. And especially because I go fight with the Ryan Hall, who is a very good fighter, is a is a very good striker, you know. And I'm very excited for make the huge show for my fans. Well, this is your kind of fight because Uriah is a very very creative individual. He says that he approaches martial arts the same way as you, you know, like water, uh, just flowing in there. And th- that seems like a great way. If this is the end of you, your career in the UFC, for you to end it against a, a fighter like that? Yeah, you know, I think it's a very special for for the moment. I think me and Ryan just doing the best show for every single fan UFC, you know. It's pretty amazing what you've accomplished in your career. You know, Habib retired this past weekend. He's 32. When you joined the UFC, you were less than a year uh, younger than he is now, and and you were still able to get 16 straight wins. Uh, when you look at the greatest of all time, do you care about the discussion? Do you care if people mention you when it comes to the greatest of all time? Well, I think the best and the great the whole time not exist, you know. And uh, I think that's the the people can say. But for me, I, I I'm not the best. I try to do my best, best I can. But I'm not the best. I think the the best fight in the world not exists. When you joined the UFC, what would you say your goal was? If if you were to tell me this is how I'd like my career to go, what would you have said back when you were 31 and you joined the UFC? Well, I think is um, every single moment when I go inside the cage and doing something special and work hard because I love my job is uh, is amazing you know it's not it's not about prove something for my fans for nobody it's just to come inside the cage and do your best and love your job in doing something special you know so I've got a fun question for you 
Do you consider yourself more of a competitor or an artist? If you were to choose one that describes you better, what would it be? Mm, that's a very hard question for me. <laughs> do you want to do you want to answer it for me? Do you have an answer for it? Uh, I don't have an answer for that. You know, it's a very hard for me. Do you think of yourself as an artist? Mm, mm, no. Because your creativity in there is unparalleled. I, I've been saying to people this whole week that I don't think that there's been a fighter that's as special as you are at the highest level that's been able to do what you've been able to do, be as unpredictable and as creative uh, when you're in there. You know, I think it's the secret in uh, for responding to your question is this matter is inside the cage or outside the cage. You make the something inside the MMA sports or outside in your personal job and a different job is how much you put in your heart, how much you love your job, how much you make something special. Not for everybody, just but for for yourself, for feel better every single day and uh, feel better for the next day and the special for the next day. How much you love your job, you know, that's the secret. That's the the respond your your question, you know, is how much you love your job. Has that always been how you've approached it, where you don't worry about what other people think, what other people say, it's just how you approach it and what you get out of it personally? You know, I I, I try to to don't think about that. I just try to make my 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 job and make my my day every single day my training and my fights uh good for me and special for me and special for my team and uh and uh special for my fans too you know but i think is is uh is every single uh uh question is have a simple uh, response is uh, about love is about passion you love you love your job just do your best you know George St. Pierre is another one of the all-time greats. I feel like you and him have a very different approach to mixed martial arts. He's always talked about when he's in the locker room before a fight, he feels like he wants to leave the building. He's, he's terrified about getting in there, and that's kind of what drives him to success. When you're in the locker room before a fight or when you're walking out to the cage, when you're in the cage with an opponent, how do you feel? Well, what's going through your mind and, and what's happening um, in, in, inside of your brain at that time? Wow, I feel happy, you know, and uh, I feel a little nervous because it's normal. But I feel completely happy because that's the the feeling, the energy I I I I feel when I start walking to to inside the cage, you know. And um, I just enjoy my moment, you know, because the one the one thing you don't have control is about timing, and you need to enjoy the, your time. When you wake up in the morning, you need to enjoy the moment, enjoy the time, because the time never stops for you, you know. And uh, that's the secret for life, you know. Love your job, enjoy your time, and make something special every single day. So you just try to approach everything with joy and with love in your life, whether it's inside the cage and outside the cage? 
Yes, of course. Well, that's, a, that's a fantastic and very strong message uh, for you to convey to us. Uh, one thing I want to go back to is your fight with Chael Sonnen, the first, the, uh, first fight. When it's, the, when it's the fifth round and he's won the last four and he's been using his wrestling and he's been, he's been on top of you, how do you muster up the willpower and, and the, the creativity to, to lock in that triangle? Because he had, he had top control for that whole fight up until the fifth round. What, what had to happen in your mind in order for you to summon that and, and be able to accomplish uh, that great comeback? Oh, in my mind, it's just one thing. I go finish this guy and I give the promise for my master and I go finish this guy. I go finish, I go finish, I go finish, I go finish. But Cheo beat, beat me the whole single uh, the whole single round in the five rounds. Cheo beat me a lot. But I'm prepared. I prepare my mind. I feel a lot of pain in the moment because I broke my ribs. But I just take my focus for one thing, just finish the fight. I've seen you on his show, on his podcast. I've seen you do interviews with him. And when I watch that, knowing what was happening leading up to that fight, it just amazes me that you two have, have formed a friendship. When he was saying all of the crazy stuff that he was saying leading up to both of those fights, did it ever bother you? or Were you ever upset by it? No, Chiu is a good guy. He's, a, he's, a, he's not my, my close friend, but I have a good relationship with Chiu. And uh, Chiu is a, is a very good father and a very good guy. And uh, I respect Chiu a lot. I think it's the, the moment the, the situation happened, Chiu is, uh, helped me to training hard. And I helped Chiu for training hard. And me and Cheo together make the special show for the, every single fan the UFC, you know. And uh, I need to say thank you for Cheo, you know, because Cheo helped me a lot and I helped Cheo a lot. And uh, I think both, uh, me and Cheo together, just make the, the huge moment and the legend moment inside the UFC for every single person. So there was never a time leading up to the fight where you were like, I hate this guy and I need to beat him? No, I don't hate Chiu, you know, it's, it's you know, I, I don't hate anybody, you know, I just put him, uh, uh, the, the, the moment inside my mind and absolve everything and try to use in the energy for help me to go inside the cage and do my best, you know, and I love Chiu, he's a good guy. When you look at another Brazilian legend, Jose Aldo, and his, uh, fight with Conor McGregor and all of the talking that happened before that. Do you feel like he was too emotional going into that fight? Mm, I can't talk about uh, the, the Jose Aldo or Conor McGregor, you know. Is it, both is a great and amazing fighters. And uh, Jose Aldo is a very, very popular in Brazil. He's a, he's a huge in Brazil and a very amazing fighter. And uh, I respect Zelda a lot, and I respect uh, Connor too. You know, it's a, both is amazing fighters. At one time in your career, you were rumored to be facing George St. Pierre, John Jones, or Conor McGregor. If you could rank who you would like to fight the most out of those three from top to bottom, what would it be? Well, it's <laughs> tough to say that, you know, because I can't respond for you about this, you know, because... Every single fight, every single uh, uh, champ inside UFC is special. 
is a make something special for us, you know. And uh, let's go back to the the the, the begin, you know. And uh, Hoist Gracie, Chuck Liddell, Randy Couture, um, wow, is a different fighters. Vitor Belfort, uh, Rodrigo Minotauro, um, um, Forrest Griffin, um, Lioro, uh, wow. It's a lot, a lot fight fighters, you know, and a BJ Pan, um, you know, is is now you see the different guys, me and um, uh, after me is a uh, Rich Franklin, uh, me and um, um, the different guys, you know, but it's tough to say who's the best, who's the the huge and the the best ever in this sport. Every single champ, every single guy take the belt and doing something special inside the cage is uh, the best one. You know, it's, it's not about one person. It's about every single fighters, you know. And um, I can't say that for you, oh, George and Pierre, or this or that or that, you know. Every... every Everybody have the special moment. I have my special. George have his special. Um, John Jones, um, Connor, Khabib. You know, is is the, the moment right now is the Israel is a make something special for us. You know, and let's go see. You know, in the future, the new generation come and make something special. Don't have the best fight in the war. Have the best event in the war. UFC. I was more asking for you personally who you would have wanted to face out of those three the most. Uh, not who the best is, but who you personally would have liked to face the most out of those three in, in a fight. Well, <laughs> I think it's my clone. Your clone? <laughs> yes. Well, you, you, you fought Israel and you fought Uriah. you're fighting Uriah this weekend. So there are a lot of people, those are guys that are close. <laughs> they, they, they seem to base a lot of their style after you. No, definitely not. It's a different, you know. I have a, I have a three clones in my house: João, Gabriel, and Khalil. But it's, it's tough to say that, you know, because is I can't, I can't say that. Is that what you want to spend your time doing from now uh, after this? Is is devoting time to your sons? I know Gabriel just had a, a Muay Thai fight and uh, has aspirations of yeah, being. Yeah, I try you know, to to help Gabriel a lot in training and pass the. The good skills and uh, the more important is uh, the the whole philosophy about martial arts, you know. And uh, Gabriel have a, a huge and amazing future. And but right now it's just step by step and take take the the time for absorb more technique, more experience for maybe one day come to UFC and fight. As you see him improve, do you take a lot of pride in that as his dad to see him grow as a martial artist and a competitor? Well, it's tough for me, you know, because when you see your son fight, you know, uh, you literally scare. I'm I'm scared sometimes, and I'm come little nervous because I know how much is danger, how much is tough. Go inside the cage, go inside the ring, and and fight. You know, it's not it's not simple. But I try to help my son a lot. And uh, Gabriel is a very good boy. And uh, absolve everything. And uh, 
take something special for yourself. You know, people always say, you know, how would we look at Anderson if he had retired, you know, after the Stephen Bonner fight, after when you run 16 in a row, you were the longest reigning champion in UFC history. That was never an option for you, I'd imagine, because of just how much you love doing this. Is that, is that why you're fighting until you're 45? Because what gets you out of bed in the morning is the idea of competing at the highest level? Well, when I wake up in the morning and I feel something uh, special inside my heart, inside my body, I just come wake up and running and back to home uh, and training with the best fighters and the best uh, uh, young fighters in the new generation. I feel prepared for continue to do my best, you know. And that's I, I think is a is a huge secret for this sport. You continue doing something special and continue doing something because you love, not because you need to prove something for anybody. You know. Well, it was amazing watching you face Israel Adesanya uh, when when you guys faced off. You were using the beehive defense, the you know, <laughs> and trying to confuse him. What was what was your strategy in that fight? What were you trying to do uh, to beat Israel, knowing that Israel was at such a high level? Um, what, what... Strategy just go inside the cage and uh, using my whole experience in the martial arts and uh, mixed martial arts too, and um, make something special for my fans. You know and enjoy the moment and uh, it's not something i can talk to you say oh my strategy for win this fight is this or that no i just go inside and enjoy my moment and do my best best i can well we've enjoyed many moments uh, over the course of your career it's been such a pleasure watching you fight uh, if this is the last time uh, on behalf of the martial arts community, I'd love to say thank you to you uh, for all of the creativity you've shown. I, I always said that when you were walking to the cage, it felt like an event. It felt like a celebration of martial arts. And uh, I truly feel that way. So congratulations on a fantastic career. And we look forward to seeing you compete one more time on Saturday. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Enjoy your moment and stay safe and say hi for your family. Thank you so much. He is one half of the main event. It's the first ever Halloween card for the UFC. It's fight night, and he's going to be the person that introduces Anderson Silva to the world of retirement. Does that add pressure uh, to you, Uriah, to be uh, put in that position? No. I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. Pressure. No. It's a fight, man. <laughs> is that what you've got to do? you got to kind of take, the, uh, take that lens off and, and look at it as just another fight? It's a fight, man. I mean, that's all it is. For, for fighters, it's a fight. There's no... I don't know where people get this misconception. It's a fight. You go out there, you do your job, you get paid, you get the fuck out. That's it. <laughs> you mentioned you're with Clayton Hires. I think Clayton was in the corner of Chael Sonnen during uh, what I think is one of the most exciting middleweight fights ever. Chael versus uh, Anderson won. Was he there? Does he have any sort of insight on Anderson Silva from that, that experience? Um, I, I'm not really sure. We haven't really spoke about it, to be honest, about that regime. It was just more of just at that time frame it happened and... That was it. I mean, I'm, it's funny you brought that up because I've never asked him about it. I never. <laughs> well, you can always ask him about it at dinner tonight. Uh, one one yeah. thing I wanted to talk to you about, of course, is your move to Fortis. You've looked like a, like a new fighter. You're adding all of these new tools. But this has had to be a frustrating year for you. You were booked twice against Jacare, then against Yoel Romero. Uh, and it's taken you all the way up until October to finally get in there. Uh, has it been as frustrating as it, look, as it has looked, sorry, from, uh, from my perspective, the outside looking in? 
Not at all. It was not frustrating. I thought it was great. I mean, the pandemic happened. It made me realize a lot of people just give in to fear easily. I isolated myself. The benefits behind that, I got to pick and choose my training partners. I got better training. Uh, I did some things like, I don't know, stout my demons. I think the isolation was the best part because just getting away from the BS and things that didn't really matter, including people. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, the fights didn't go my way. But if you look at the regime of it, it was more of just... I went, I went from Jacques to Uruel to Anderson Silva. I can't see anything bad. Yeah, certainly. That's a how good, you look at it, man. Yeah, a good, a good list of opponents there that uh, you could have been facing. What ended up happening with the Yoel Romero fight? We never really heard what exactly took place to make that fight get canceled. I think it was that time of the month for him. And, you know, when, when you get that time of the month, you know, your period, it, it sucks. So he couldn't really fight. Well, it seems like you might have chased him out of the division. From uh, all indications, it looks like he's moving up to 205. Well, that was the plan. That's exactly what's the plan. He and John, I know, have the same manager. And I'm thinking about it. I'm like, it doesn't make sense. I'm like, oh, John is leaving. Oh, he gets to make 205 without working so hard to make 85. Oh, he can use this opportunity to back out right now because he probably knew I was going to kill him. He didn't want to hurt his career. He knew I was going to kill him. You can ask, you, he, anybody can say whatever you want. He knew I was going to kill him. Well, again, it's certainly a big opportunity for you, uh, especially this one. I think there's going to be a lot of eyes on this fight. Uh, does that, I guess, inspire you to do anything uh, different being in the main event? No, not at all. It's, it's a job to do. You just show up and do work, man. That's it. The great thing about it is there will be no crowd. I'm excited about that. Explain, expand on that. Why, don't you, uh, why, why are you happy there's no crowd? Because uh, there's some idiots in there. and I, I just uh, Listen, man, I'm far ahead of the curve. There's one thing I don't like is or I don't have patience for it, is stupidity. I just don't have patience for stupidity. It's a lot, especially with people who are just too drunk or just say dumb shit. Like, I'm honorable, man. When I'm, on, when I'm in there, it's about that moment. It's about letting go. It's about going up against your opponent and just doing the best you can to, I don't know, dismantle that person. Why would I want to hear a bunch of dumb people saying punch him in the dick or some dumb shit? It's, it's fucking stupid. And the way the sport's going sometimes, I, I have to mesh with it because it's my work. But I'm glad because it's just be us. You know, there's no distraction. There's no stupidity. It's just us. I love it. You know, the champion of your division. The only good thing about COVID right now. (laughs) (laughs) The champion of your division said the same thing. He said he likes fighting uh, without a crowd because I guess the same reasons as you said. Have you experienced anything as a fighter that has particularly annoyed you about the crowd? Just stupidity. It's it's just stupidity. Uh, The best crowd I've ever been around was in japan when i fought gagar oh my god you can hear a pin drop i mean you know we you go out there and it was like that tough clap oh <laughs> they're very gracious the way they greet us jesus christ you ever travel and meet americans good god we're, we're terrible i hate going to other country running to americans like shut the fuck up bro why are you even here but i love the way they were to us they were very um honorable and how they carried themselves and how they respected the sport we don't get that here too much and I don't like that, man. I'm, I'm going out there to sacrifice my life, basically. The last thing I need is your dumb ass to fuck it up. So I love it. I love the fact there's no crowd. Yeah, it might come back. Hopefully it does. But I, I'm good. You've said in the past that you've styled, um, I based a lot of your style on video games. You used to play Tekken a lot, and you, you picked the... Still um, do, still yeah, do. And you pick styles from that. Does Anderson Silva excite you then as an opponent? Because he's very similar, very unpredictable, and he's all about kind of putting on a show for the fans uh, that are watching and, and really uh, embracing the beauty of martial arts. 
Well, that's why our style meshed so well, because we're very creative. And I think for a lot of creative fighters, creative athletes, we need that realm um, to go out there and to just be in that moment. You know, he spoke of it like water. That's what it's all about. Uh, sometimes the weakness behind that, you know, you, you forget about there's judges that aren't educated properly. And they'll be like, well, you didn't do this. So technically you lost. You're like, wait, what? So I understand his concept of going out there and letting go and be like, water and that fluidity of it and just being in that moment because he said it's not about fighting and it's really not it's really about expressing yourself but a lot of people don't understand that but from the business end you got to go out there fuck shit up get paid i've been hearing this kind of thing a lot where people talk about the judges they talk about the fans they talk about a lot of the issues that comes with i guess the monetization of martial arts jared cannon about this last week yeah so so um what would you do to change it if you could change the the function of this sport what are some things you would do uh, <laughs> I, we don't, I know we don't have all day, but let's go. <laughs> no, that's a great question. Man, where would I start? Well, let's start with repercussions. Um, <laughs> we can start with some repercussion. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things I can change. Well, I, I would change. I can't really bring them out right now, but... Um, man, I had it all planned out until you said it. Jesus. Uh, definitely the ref. The judging system... I mean, people say, let's put some old ex-fighters in there, but then some people say, well, what about if this person trained with this person? But let's just let's get some people in there that know what the fuck they're really doing. Instead of these boxing judges that judge boxing, I think, like, what? This is MMA. So if I beat you up for, like, I don't know, four rounds, and you take me down and hug me for maybe five minutes, you win? How is that? Like, come on. So definitely the, the judges. If you can secure that, I think a lot of people have more fun going out there and really letting go. They're so worried about it. You know, and it takes away real fights from happening. I've seen some fighter, they just go out there and they just hug people just, just to get points because they know they're losing and they end up winning. And I'm like, what? Let's fix these judges. Either get rid of them or get some really certified people that know what the hell they're doing. That's the main thing I would fix. I think it was the Maryland Commission this year. It was early this year. There was a fight between TJ Brown and Jordan Griffin. And in this commission, you had to score the round even if there was a finish. They scored a 10-9 TJ Brown, and TJ Brown was, was uh, choked unconscious in that round. And they gave him that round where he literally lost. Uh, so I, I certainly what? understand what you're saying about the judging. <laughs> it's just crazy. Oh, and the refs. Like, I've gotten fights stopped before. The, the one fight I really thought I did not lose for sure was when I fought Brunson. Because I remember looking at Herb Dean. I'm like, come on, man. You know you fucked up, bro. And he gave me that look. I mean, I tell the refs all the time. I'm like, listen, I get it. Your job is to make sure I'm safe. Guess what? I don't need that. By me stepping in the octagon, I'm already signing my debt warrant, you know? So all I need you to do is let me go out. Just let me go out. Either let me tap out or let me go out. It's No one wants to go out there and just lose so easily, man. It sucks. Especially when ref stop fight before, where you're like, dude, come on. Yeah, I get you're looking for my safety, but fuck all that, dude. I'm, we're all ready to die. You got to be ready to die to do some shit like this. I'm ready to die. How have you enjoyed uh, working at Fortis and, and living in Dallas? Uh, it's a change of scenery for you. Well, in the beginning, I hated Dallas because no one could drive. Yeah, I said it. Nobody could fucking drive. They're terrible. It's like, it's like Grand Theft Auto with just no control. <laughs> Everyone's just doing everything. Everybody had to have a truck. It's like, oh, if you don't have a gun or a truck, you're not a man. I'm like, what? You know, it was just different. But, of course, hanging out with Safe and him talking to me, he's like, stop talking shit about Dallas. Because <laughs> I'm in New York, I'm always going to talk shit. 
And, uh, you know, I kind of come to it a little bit. It's, it's different. I think of Dallas as America. When you think of a country in a country, that's Dallas. It's just different. And, you know, there's the outskirts. It's prettier when you get a little out of Dallas and the, the country area and stuff like that. I have a lot of friends out there, great friends. Everyone has, like, closets of guns, though. There, I think there's something Dallas know that we don't. But, you know, I'm getting adjusted to it. I just moved there. I just got a place. And um, it's a different vibe. There's nowhere to walk in that city. Like, I've, I've been on the sidewalk and it ends. You can. You can. It's just <laughs> the, the funny thing I noticed with Dallas is just all white girls with dogs. It's like, like a thing. Like my neighborhood, I was walking around and I was like, I saw several <laughs> white girls with dogs. Is, is this the thing here? They're like, oh, yeah, bro. If you don't have a dog, you're nobody. It's a thing. Yeah, I, it's, it's a very strange city because you're suddenly you're walking and then you're in the middle of the street. Like the sidewalk just disappears. <laughs> oh, my God. You're in the hood, you turn left, <laughs> industrial neighborhood, you go right, million-dollar homes. Like that. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting place to live, so uh, it's good to hear that Safe is showing you the, the parts of town that are worth seeing. Because I'm, I'm, I'm from Toronto. I'm from a city as well, oh, okay. like you. You're from New York, I'm from Toronto. Toronto and New York have some similarities, but you go to Dallas, yeah. and like you said, it's like a whole different place. It's like, what the fuck? New York is very structured. It's like the, the, the rows are lines, man. It's just lines. 23rd Street, 7th Avenue. Here, it's like, what the fuck? I mean, the lanes, there's a street, several, there's a merge where a merge is coming in, where everyone has to merge into another. It's crazy, the traffic here. My friend came to Dallas and she said, these roads were designed for people with horses. <laughs> Why, because they're so wide? It's, they don't make no fucking sense. Like someone went <laughs> like this with the roads. No fucking sense. But hey, it's home now. I like it. For all the <laughs> Dallas fans out there, yeah. So are you staying at the gym? Are you are you still sleeping in the gym? No, no, no. That was just the whole, you know, when COVID started and everything, I had to go into isolation, um, still focus and uh, not be distracted and be picky and choose with my training partners. Uh, I stayed there longer. I wanted to stay even longer, but Safe was like, nah, <laughs> it's not, you know, make it too much of a home. But I like that. I like I like getting comfortable with uncomfortable. Because for the first week, I was like, holy crap. I was hearing noises and stuff like that. It was dark. And I was like, what the hell? It was kind of a crazy hood. So, I think that Fortis is kind of getting slept on this year. Last year, everybody was talking about safest coach of the year. This year, there's just been all kinds of weird circumstances that have happened surrounding the fighters of the gym. Uh, the, the illness to Jeff Neal um, be, being one of them. Uh, your, your fight's getting postponed constantly. Uh, how does Fortis get back a lot of that momentum that, that you guys had from last year back into this year? It's just consistency. It's consistency. You know, it, it, listen, it's just going to happen. And it, what, 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 I, what I love about Safe is uh, he compartmentalized all the bullshit. And it's like, all right, it's happening. How do we react to it? And I've noticed that with the rest of my, my teams, my coaches, Mike Skatia. Shit's happening. All right, it's happening. Do we fall victim to it or do we, we keep doing our work? And that's what we're doing. That's what we're good at. You know, we're, we're hard workers. Everyone in the gym hard workers but man safe is so good at just keeping that mindset to say hey you don't need to write a fucking paragraph or go on fucking facebook and become a soccer mom about the whole thing just fucking do your job just do your job don't accept the bullshit you know fuck the bullshit this is what we're going to do and we're still going to do it i love that and it's hard to have that because yeah with the pandemic i mean look what's happening look at everybody so scared i had to talk to the dude outside who was, you know, I came in, I didn't have my mask, and he was like, oh, you got to have your mask. I'm like, first of all, relax, bro. If there's anybody that should be more worried, it's my ass. I mean, you can't be a victim of this whole bullshit. Yeah, it's happening, but don't give it so much fucking power. 
I'm not going to give it power. If it happens, it fucking happens. But I'm not going to give it all this damn power. For what? To be one of these weaklings that run around and scream, wear your mask, wear your mask. I'm going to wear my mask, but fucking relax. Another topic, brother. <laughs> all right, we'll, we'll save that for another time. Uh, lastly, I want to talk about an interview your coach did, uh, Saif Sayud. We'll, we'll go back to the fighting realm of things. He we'll was, go back to that He was saying that one of the things that you, you could do against Anderson Silva, one of the things he's trying to encourage you to do is stick to the fundamentals, that once you get into the creative realm with Anderson, that's kind of his world. Uh, are you going to be able to stay away from that? Because you are, by nature, a very creative fighter and somebody who likes to kind of flow, like you mentioned earlier in this interview. Man, uh, I think the... Proper response is, you know, it's all a balance. That's my nature, of course. But like I said, I, we know the game plan. He has his game plan. I have mine. And it's all about who goes out there and uh, utilizes the will. Um, I'm always going to be creative. But my creativity, if I take stuff from where people give me and add on that, it's going to make me even better. Can't give you a perfect answer per se. People are asking me, hey, I know you respect him, but... But, 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 hey, guess what? Saturday's not here yet. Let's see what happens. All right, Uriah, always a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, best of luck this weekend against Anderson Silva. The retirement fight on Halloween's two, two firsts for the UFC. Oh, yeah, that's right. Damn, Khabib. I'm going to miss that dude. <laughs>2020 twenty's been a tough year for some, but not for Bobby Green. Three wins in the year 2020, and you're looking for another one this coming weekend. Tell me about this year for you and why, I guess, fighting in an empty arena may, may have helped you through this. <laughs> fighting in an empty arena. Um, no, I just think that people, maybe, maybe you're right. Uh, I think people are just paying more, a little more attention, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, is there anything that changed that uh, has allowed you to get into this kind of a groove? Nothing's changed but the day. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's changed but the day. I'm still doing the same damn things that I did to get me here. Um, I've had a lot of close fights, a lot of close decisions. Um, I think just maybe working a little harder and putting it together, you know. But I think it's the same thing. I think I'm doing the same thing. Dominic Cruz said I'm doing the same thing. It's just, it just finally starting to work. You know, one thing not a lot of people are talking about, is I heard you did an interview with a guy named Keon Kamura, that you actually have another fight booked for December. So tell me about that. What's, what's going on? You, you are like Hamzad, except Hamzad didn't actually have the second fight. Interesting. Holy crap. I didn't know that you were paying attention like that. You're pretty slick. Um... All I'm going to say is I'm doing this fight, and then I got one in December to fight, too, you know. Everything goes great here. I'll be in December, too. I'm going to set the record for the most fights this year, you know. There will not be another fighter who fights more than me this year and wins. So um, if I get seen, I get seen, you know. I just want people to know my name. That's it. Give me my respect. People to overlook me so much. You know, we're talking about the fight of the year, and I think Khabib did some great things. I think uh, Izzy did some great things. But they forget about the little guys like me. <laughs> well, I certainly haven't. I think this could be uh, the year of the king. Uh, and if you get five wins in a calendar year, especially a year where it's difficult for everybody to get all of these fights because of all the different circumstances, I think that would be pretty incredible. Yeah, I fought Clay on two weeks' notice. I fought Lando on three weeks. And the next fight I fought, I think, two weeks' notice. i just been taking them as it come. God is good. And he's been blessing me with all these great opportunities. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one thing that doesn't get talked about is your coach. Your coach uh, has played a very instrumental role in your life. He's been your coach, I believe, for your entire career, took you under his wing. You uh, consider him to be like a father. I'd love for you to talk uh, about him and, and shed some light on uh, how he has helped you in your life. Um, first of all, let's, let's just be a little bit clear. Uh, my coach is, uh, yeah, my dad, Jake Benny, but I have two coaches, two. There's Sam Mason and there's Jake Benny, and they both paid pivotal roles in my life, you know? Um, Sam's my piece. And, and without Sam, I don't even know if I would be here. Be honest, I mean, let's be honest, it's Sam. If you're gonna say, like, lately what's changed, my mindset has changed. Um, my my drive has changed a little bit, you know? I've gotten a lot smarter with how to train. Um, so that was all Sam. My dad is just really, hey, fucking go push it to the fucking wire, you know? He'll break me in the in the gym, he'll try to, push it and I got to like, Oh, I'm injured or whatever. He don't care. Let's go. So just keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. Jake doesn't know, no end. It doesn't have us. I don't have a stop or a break or a, this will break you until you, until you break, you know, but Sam, Sam's smooth. Sam's, Hey, we'll get there. We'll get there. Don't worry. We're going to get there. Yeah. Give me this thing, but I got one this more today and I'll get a little bit more tomorrow. We'll get there. So, they're both, uh, they're my yin and my yang. So it's two coaches. When you when you want to say what I'm doing new, it's Sam Mason and Jake Beanie. They're both so good in my life. And, and, and I don't know where I'll be without the guys. A lot of your life has been rooted in chaos. When you're in the cage, do you feel free? Do you feel like fearless and, and like th that's where you belong? <laughs> that's interesting. Whoa. Life is chaos for me. It's always been that way. My dad used to, always used to tell me that, if I don't have chaos, I would create chaos just to, because I'm so used to it, you know, I mean, from seeing chaos so much. Um, when I'm in the cage, I'm just like every other fighter. No different. But at the same time, I do some very good things in there that uh, people don't understand, you know. Uh, I'm just out of guess. I guess I hide it better. I guess I'm, I'm better at dealing with it than, than other fighters, you know. Um, my dad's always said, I fight so I fight the best tired. Why is that? Because I've been doing it all my life, you know. If I don't get in the gym and I don't push till my heart stops, I don't feel like I worked out. That's just the way I am. Like if I don't feel like like oh god, I'm gonna fucking have a heart attack or throw up, I don't feel like I worked out. What has stopped you from being this active in the past? It seems like you've had longer layoffs uh, than a lot of other fighters in the UFC. Yeah, I went through a whole, a whole stint. Like, like I told you, there's some times where my dad wants me to do eight fives, ten fives, and the last round, two weeks before the fight, I blow my knee out. And I'm like, we didn't need it. I was in great shape. Everything was going great. We didn't really need that extra round, but like I told you, he's going to take me till I break. And sometimes I break. <laughs> I'm getting older. You know, I got some tough opponents. I got Jamal Emmers. I got uh, Darren, Darren Caldwell. I got a couple of amateurs that are fucking killers that are always on top of me. And there's no telling what can happen in those later rounds as you're getting more tired. Going back to, I think it's 2011, you fought Dan Lozon. And the opening graphic, it said fighting style hood. Would you still say that that's your fighting style or would you give it a new tag uh, in your older years? You are freaking good, bro. You really know. You've done your research. I'm not going to lie. You've done your research. Um, when I first started coming in fighting, like, uh, 
I maybe at that around that time, I think I've been fighting, not even training or anything, you know, uh, just fighting on, 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 on pure, pure, just whatever you have. I don't know. I didn't even know any boxing. I didn't know anything. So I wouldn't say I was a boxer. I wouldn't say I was a, this or a street fighter. I said a hood because fighters wouldn't understand how to deal with that. If you say you're a boxer, that means they're going to take you down. If you see a jujitsu, that means they're going to keep standing. I didn't know what to, and how to play it. So I figured I'm going to play the, play the different opponents, you know, so they won't know how to figure me out. Um, I said hood because if you if you say you're a boxer, they're going to take you down. If you say you're a jiu-jitsu guy, they're going to keep you standing. And I didn't want my fighters to know anything about me. Have you ever been scared of an opponent during a fight? I don't know if I've ever been scared of a man. There's the same feelings that, like, George St. Pierre talked about, about being scared. But I don't feel scared. I feel nervous. I feel that I don't. Um, I think my fear is to not give you guys a good show. That's my fear is that I get out there and something stupid happens and I get caught in something and it's a stupid show. Are you looking to uh, move up the rankings next year and potentially compete for a title at some point? Right now the lightweight division is kind of wide open and uh, it looks like there's a lot of people at the top that are going to want to contend for a title, but uh, only so many people can rise to the top. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm coming. You know, I never said it before. I've never said it in my entire career about trying to chase this title. My my only interest has been putting on great fights for my audience, you know, putting on, on because I feel like I'm the Mayweather of fighting where you may not see a knockout all the time, but you're going to see some great things in my fight that you're like, if you really pay attention, there's some things that are happening. Like, how did he hit that, you know? There's some times where a guy maybe had me in and picked me up over his head and he's going to slam me. And all of a sudden I did this and this and I'm on top of him. You know, there's these things that are happening that sh- like if you're a true MMA uh, uh, a fan, you will really understand that I'm doing some things that even some guys at the highest level aren't doing. So I don't know. I just think I like now's the time where I can start saying it's time to come for the title. I think of all the fighters in the UFC that you've adapted the shoulder roll better than just about anybody. That's why they call me the Mayweather of MMA. I, I like I developed this style that they say that you can't do. They say that that wouldn't work in, 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 in MMA. And they've been telling me this for years. You know, I hear Daniel Cormier. I hear these different guys. Oh, Bobby's doing that. He's doing that. But no one can stop it. You know, I've been knocked out once in my career. And, and, and to be honest, I did some stupid things in that fight. But I made it work for me. There's, Mayweather couldn't come and do this. There's no need. I was like, I wanted to tell Mayweather, don't come. We don't need you. I'm already here. I saw another interview you did with Michael Bisping. I, I believe you're getting married sometime soon. Has, has having that kind of stability in your life helped you out a lot? Holy crap. <laughs> Holy crap. I've been eating Bobby Green content like it's a buffet today. You are on your stuff, bro. And no, I'm not getting married. I'm not even with that woman anymore. Like I told you, my life is chaotic. <laughs> I'm living in a garage right now. <laughs> that was four months ago, that interview. Now, <laughs> yeah. I was supposed to pay my house off with her, and we were supposed to be doing this great thing and living life in a way better life, but I don't know. Things happen, and so now I'm in a garage, and I have to buy a new house, and I have to start all over and do it all over again. Is that is that the main place you're training right now? Is in that garage? 
No, I sleep in the garage. I train <laughs> at my gym. Okay, all right. Just, just clarifying. Just clarifying. A, lot of, a lot of fighters have had a lot of success training out of their garage, like Glover Teixeira, for example. No, no I heard Izzy was sleeping at the gym. And, but I sleep in my, in my coach's garage, and then I get up and I train. I go back, and then I train again. That's it. Eat, sleep, and train. Stay focused. So we mentioned the championship level uh, and that December fight. If everything goes according to plan, does that person in December have a number next to their name? Um, I don't know. I never pay attention. I just was told that I can get this one. I can get one in December too. You know, so I will be setting the record for the most amount of fights and the most amount of wins this year if if God is with me. Do you have an opponent or just a date? Just a date. I don't want to say opponents or anything like that, and there's no telling what happens. I'm just here, and I'm trying to put the work in and show people that uh, Samaya isn't the only person that's putting this work in. I'm out here, too. All right, Bobby. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure watching you uh, compete this year, getting all those wins under your belt. It's, uh, it's certainly refreshing to see you uh, be this active in the year 2020, and uh, best of luck this weekend against Thiago Moises. I really appreciate this time, you know, God has been great to me. Thank you, uh, Sean Shelby. Thank you, Dana White. Thank you, UFC. You guys have put money in a poor black man's pocket and you changed my life. I live so much different because of you guys. Thank you. I'm now joined by Gerald Mearshart. It's nice to see your face, sir, after uh, your most recent fight against Hamzat Shemaev, who's now, I guess, been rebooked uh, in the welterweight division, apparently not fighting Demian Maia anymore, now fighting the third-ranked Leon Edwards in the welterweight division. A pretty uh, steep jump for him. Uh, so from that fight, I I'm curious to know, was there anything about your approach that was different from previous fights? Because obviously this fight didn't go like previous fights of yours have gone. <laughs> yeah, eh, not at all. Um... Uh, the only different thing we were going to do, uh, the the game plan was to make space, make him chase me a little bit, and uh, make him pay for overreaching. But, you know, it was a good game plan. I, I just, you know, quite frankly, did a shit job following it. So that's kind of what happens. I, you know, I tried to move around. I didn't cut uh, angle one way or the other hard enough. I ran into the cage. And where I should have reacted offensively, I kind of just waited a little too long, and I paid for it. I noticed you were circling a lot. Was that part of the game plan as well, or, or were you looking to circle more towards the center of the cage rather than against the cage? I mean, you never want to circle against the cage, but, uh, again, the plan was make a lot of space. So, you know, uh, maybe touch him once, get way far away, you know, make him chase a little bit, kind of play tag with him for a little bit and get him uh, to get frustrated and overextend himself. But, again, you know, uh, just because you do something – Good in the training room doesn't mean it always translates into the fight. And, you know, being in the smaller cage didn't help because I took about, like, a two and a half steps back. And all of a sudden, I'm run, like, I kind of buckled. I ran into the cage. I was like, oh, it's right there already. And then, you know, where I could have made an adjustment and just said, screw it. It's time to fight. I tried to look for a way to circle and, you know, got caught looking. Did the small – was that in Vegas? I can't remember. Yep, that was at yeah. the Apex. So did the small cage make a difference in that sense? Well, I mean, yeah, if, you're, if your game plan is, like, move around a lot, having a smaller circle in which to do it makes a, makes a pretty big difference, I would think. Yeah, especially for someone, you know, we're both, uh, I, he might even be a smidge taller than me, but we're both, like, 6'1"-ish, and, you know, like I said, a couple steps, you're already to the middle or to the very edge of the octagon, and, you know, if I can't take more than one or two steps, 
uh, you're going to really have to cut harder angles than normal. The you know the size difference. I think the smaller one is like 25, and the bigger one's 30 or something like that. So it's a pretty noticeable size difference. You know what I mean? So that's uh, and again, I knew what size cage I was fighting, and it wasn't like it was a mystery. I just you know didn't do a good job of following the game plan and adjusting using the space I had. One thing that surprised me was when, when you guys were facing off, because he's fought at welterweight before, I expected you to be much bigger. And then when you guys were face-to-face, -face, he seemed pretty big. Did that surprise you at all when you were face-to-face -face with him? Uh, he's very tall and lanky. Um, and face and front ways, he's pretty wide. But, uh, like, thick-wise, he's kind of thin. So I figured he would be lankier and, like, look like the same size or whatever. But, you know, uh, he, he was a little more... Uh, I guess his rib cage, he wasn't very barrel tested or anything. So, you know, as far as him feeling heavy or any of that stuff, obviously I have no idea because I didn't really get to, like, actually fight him. I just kind of stood there and got punched in the face. But, um, you know, uh, as far as the reach and stuff like that goes and the height, we're about the same. Had the game plan gone accordingly, what would have been the best case scenario if you were on the defensive and he was on the offensive? Would it have been a, a sloppy shot on his part? Uh uh, you know, a sloppy strike. What what was the perfect scenario if you were if you were playing defensive in that uh, situation? Uh, you know, just probably jabbing, making him move, making him reach a lot. You know, not uh, this is not like I expected. I really probably thought a little bit too much about his grappling or interrupting his grappling, and not enough about interrupting his striking. And again, it's one of those things, you know, you look at his uh, previous fights, he had some amateur ones where he, like, knocked some guys out or looked, you know, okay on the feet, but it was, like, little flashes. It was, like, one punch here or there. So, as far as that goes, I didn't know what to expect. I figured he would be good, you know what I mean? The right hand he threw was good. He ducked off to the right side. He put his head in. He threw it, you know, down the middle and landed it in a good spot. But, uh, yeah, I was, in a perfect world, it'd be tagging him moving away he gets frustrated because you know he's all hyped up about it he overextends on something and i catch him with a punch or something coming in or he takes a bad shot and i take his neck do you watch a fight like that back uh i did a couple times because it didn't take that long so i mean you always want to watch your fights back see what you did right and wrong but for that one it was you know i'd have to spend too much time because like oh yeah that's where i stood there and got punched in the face <laughs> So it's pretty clear, cut and dry as far as what went wrong. But, uh, you know, that's one of those things where I, I genuinely don't like that guy. I, I can't exactly put my finger on it. Just the way he carries himself, he doesn't, I don't know. There's something, there's something that I don't like. I don't think he likes me either. And I think part of the reason I don't like him is because he was acting like I said something disrespectful towards him. I don't know if it's because, like, People were interpreting what I said to him incorrectly or something. But the whole time, I was like, I, I said he was good. I said I expected him to come forward and do all this other stuff. And uh, the only thing I said is that he was overlooking me and that uh, he was going to face resistance. And I didn't help hold up my end of the bargain on that. That's 100% on me. Oh, I said something and I didn't do it. And not only that, but me not liking the guy, that leaves a real bad taste in my mouth. And, you know, I'm going to do whatever it takes as far as string wins together to get back at that guy. And if he wants to keep sitting up there saying like, no one wants to fight me, no one wants to fight me. Well, you know, eventually he's going to run to that spot again and I'm going to be sitting there waiting for him. And I'm sure he's going to, you know, Oh, well, I already beat him. Uh, I fought him once. He'd be quiet. I knock him out. I don't, I don't want to hear none of that stuff. 
the first time, you know, terrible circumstances, uh, definitely not looking my best, whatever. They're all excuses. Doesn't matter. I got in there. I lost. It happens. But you really want to fight. You really need to stay busy. You want someone to get in there and come at you. Next time around, I'm going to get in there, and it's not going to be about setting up a game plan or being technical or none of that stuff. It's going to be about inflicting pain 100%. I'm not concerned about winning. I'm not concerned about losing. The only thing I'd be thinking about is driving my fist through his face. I was a little confused at home because when the press conference came on, I thought it was going to be Colby and Tyron. And then I turned it on, and it's all of the different people from the undercard. So when I saw you and him there, you guys kind of stole the show there. But were you expecting to be part of a press conference that week? I like When, when did you find out that that press conference was going to feature you and him and some others on the card, but not Tyron and Colby? Uh, I think it was the day before. But they didn't say, like, oh, it's just going to be you guys. They just... Uh... Uh, who was one of the UFC staff called me and was like, hey, Dana wants to see if you want to do a press conference tomorrow. And I was like, yeah, sure, okay. That was the only information I had. And I get there, and I was kind of looking around, and I was like, gee, I wonder when Tyron's going to show up because it would usually make sense to have the main event. And then we all sit down, and I was like, oh, it's just us. Cool. So, yeah, it was a, a new experience for me for sure. Well, Tyron and Colby then did scrums afterwards. So I'm at home waiting. Like, I thought they were going to come on after. I was like, oh, this is cool. They're, they're, they're showcasing a lot of the people that are on the undercard. And then they're going to do Colby and Tyron afterwards. And it's going to be, a, you know, a bit of a circus. But I'm interested to see how that goes. And then they never came out. And then they just went and did scrums. So did Tyron tell you why they didn't end up doing a press conference? No. I, I wasn't like, you know, I was concerned about my fight. He was thinking about his fight. You know, we, we see each other. We're cool whatever uh you know we trained in the same facility a couple times and like hanging out like that but you know that was the last thing on my mind and i think it was like the day before when so i wasn't you know i wasn't gonna bug him about what was going on with that if i had to make a guess uh i would say because they don't want those two near each other before the fight like i think even before the weigh-ins colby requested to be in like a separate area uh during weigh-ins because he didn't want to be physically near tyron for some reason so you know it that's what I would think. Yeah, I was wondering if it had something to do with Tyron answering the questions with Black Lives Matter for all of his answers, and maybe they wanted to screen that or something, but I have no actual intel on that. I was, that was just kind of what I thought might have been the reason why they didn't want to give Tyron a bigger platform, like a uh, globally uh, broadcasted press conference. It, it could have been. I have no idea. Uh, you know, the, I, I remember asking him, he, I think he was trying to get it on his shorts, too. And I can't remember, well, I can't remember most of that night after my fight. Uh, well, I, some of it, but, you know, <laughs> it's not super clear still. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if he actually got it on the shorts or not, but I know that was the goal, too, is he, uh, I didn't really, like, grill him about that, but he had everything on for the press conference. And then I remember hearing him talking about when I went to St. Louis, he was trying to get it on his fight shorts. So hopefully he got it on there, but I have no idea. But, you know, uh, I'm not going to sit here and say that that's the reason. Um, I could see why somebody in broadcasting, uh, if someone told me that that was the reason, I, I could make that make sense in my head. I'll put it that way. But I don't know that that was the reason. So I'm not going to, you know, assume that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not assuming it either. I was just, that was kind of what I had surmised because it was confusing that they weren't part of the press conference. Like you said, you have information that Colby kind of wanted to be in a separate area and wanted to have distance from Tyron. So it very well could be that too. Maybe Colby said, no, I'm not getting on a stage with this guy. But uh, regardless of that, 
you say that you have a lot of trouble remembering what had happened that night. When do you remember being told that the fight was over? Like, in, in you know, then being told what had happened. So, uh, I, I remember, uh, I should rephrase that. I remember the night, uh, but there's a period where I remember getting in the cage, face off all that, and I remember kind of like running into the side of the cage. And uh, after that, I don't remember anything until I like came to in the back room with all my stuff on. <laughs> and I was like, hmm, usually it's not good if you just wake up and all your clothes are on you magically. So I was like, <laughs> dang, <laughs> like that's something, something went terribly wrong. And uh, I remember talking, uh, Brendan Allen was with me in the back, you, you know, checking up on me. And I, I must have been moving around like I was fine because, you know, he didn't say that someone dressed me or anything. I just sat there and I remember sitting there and all of a sudden I was like, I just came back. And he was like, what? And I was like, I just now, like, I can remember, I can come back and I'm like here now. And he was like, oh, dang. And I was like, yeah, I, <laughs> and I think they were on. Uh, they were either on the next fight or about to start it or something like that. So I, I probably, I had the doctor sheet, so I know I, they probably took me back to them once he came back later. And I remember talking to him again and he was like, how do you feel? And, you know, I felt, I felt fine other than that, uh, small missing piece of the night. You know, my face was fine. I no real injuries. Nothing was busted. I like it. My face wasn't even sore. So my big thing was. I think after the Ian fight, I came back too fast. And, you know, it's one of those things where you don't know how bad, you know, getting knocked is until it's too late sometimes. And it was one of those things where I felt fine in training. I didn't have any headaches, no puking. My pupils were fine. No symptoms of any seriousness whatsoever as far as, like, uh, concussion. But, uh, you know, regardless of how good of a play shot it was and all that stuff, for me to get touched once like that and like the lights turn out the way they did, I think I just didn't take enough time letting my brain recover from one fight to the other. And this time around, you're taking it a lot slower. Yeah. Oh yeah. So after that, um, you know, the only thing I've really been doing, I got on, I've been spin bike here and there, you know, cause the doctor said they're like, yeah, definitely don't, uh, even run at first cause you don't want your head jostling around. So, uh, elliptical spin bikes. Okay. No training for a while. You know, I, I haven't even really rolled or sparred or done anything like that at all. I mean, maybe move around with somebody a little bit just to like show them a position or something. Um, but yeah, I probably the earliest I would earliest, earliest I would fight would probably be like March, April, something like that. I've got, uh, another brain scan, the UFC set up for me, November 9th and not, because they're worried about anything being seriously wrong. I'll just put that out there. Now I think it's just, you know, every so many years you have to have a new, uh, new MRI and CT brain scan to make sure everything's okay in general for all the fighters. So once that gets done, I'll kind of ask them, you know, what they think, how it looks, just make sure that there's no lingering, that doesn't appear to be any lingering side effects and then slowly work my way back in. I've still been doing my strength and conditioning, so I'm keeping my body healthy that way. But, uh, yeah, just taking it slow, letting the brain get better, um, doing, trying to do it the right way instead of rushing back in, especially if, you know, I'm getting, I'm closer to the end than I am the beginning. So especially right now, if I want to, you know, be able to tie my shoes and everything when I'm done, I can't be taking shots like that. 
And how's your state of mind doing in terms of after, from after the fight until where you're at now? Have you had any struggles with that, like just kind of rationalizing what happened? Uh, actually, not too much. You know what I mean? I, I fully understand what happened. I know why it happened. I know what I got to do to fix it. Um, and again, no, no symptoms after this, no headaches, no queasiness, no nausea, uh, no depression, which I know is a, another very common thing, you know, depression and just general mood swings and emotions being all over the place. But I'm honestly, I felt fine. Now, again, I felt fine before. And, you know, it's like, uh, if you think about it, like, say, you know, you hurt your knee or something, your knee feels fine, you're doing stuff. And then all of a sudden you go and trying to do something super athletic you can tweak it again, even though it felt fine that whole time. Well, it's kind of the same idea. Just because I feel fine, I'm not going to jump right back into it when, you know, it could be that one shot the right way that puts me out again. Because, you know, I I fought Tiago Santos. That dude beat me about the head and shoulders for the better part of seven minutes, and I didn't go unconscious. And even in the fight, I was wondering, why am I still awake right now? This is ridiculous. <laughs> so if that guy can hit me that many times, I should not be going to sleep from one punch by someone that – that light with comes up now they're fast tracking him i i said that he, he was being thrown into the deep end when he was matched up with you now he's really being thrown into the deep end he's facing the number three guy at welterweight with leon edwards um do you think this is too much too soon for him or is that what people were kind of saying when he was lined up against you uh i think it was about 50 50 when he was matched up with me um now on paper i would say that's a lot right away but you know can't say he hasn't earned it, right? Especially from where I'm sitting. I can't, I can't really make any qualms about what they're going to do with him next. Uh, so, you know, and I'm not I'm not really too concerned with what he's doing. I just know I want to fight him again. You know, as soon, whatever I got to do, I don't care if it's the next fight after, you know, I'm all healed and ready to go. If he needs somebody, then I'm more than down to get it because I want that one back really, really bad. But whatever I got to do to get that fight back, and if he wants to be bouncing between weight classes, I'm going to be ready. Now, I've been kind of ridiculed because I, I keep saying that they should be ranking him in, in the welterweight and middleweight division from what we've seen because of just how dominant he's been and how we kind of know what kind of upside this guy has. Do you think that it would be warranted to rank him in either division? Uh, I mean, I think even if he does well against Leon at all, at least for welterweight, I would say yes. You know, middleweight... Um, I guess you'd have to look at, like, the lower, you know, what, 15 to, like, 12 maybe and see the activity because he's been really busy lately, right? And he has beat a couple middleweights. So it's not completely out of the question, but at least for welterweight, if he even has remotely good showing, I would think that he should be ranked at welterweight. And if he beats Edwards, you can certainly make a case that he's next in line for the title, really. I mean, if after the Burns and, and Usman fight, if Edwards is number three, he runs through Edwards. I mean, Colby and Masvidal have already faced Usman. Uh, Edwards has also faced Usman. Who else would be would be left? Right, yeah. I mean, and then it, there it comes how, how fast do you want to fast track him, you know what I mean? Because I could see them, you know, it depends on how he beats Leon, right, if he does. He goes out there and starches him, you know, you could make that argument. Maybe because Leon, uh, and by, you know, I think it's the, could be inactivity. The UFC didn't push him as much. Maybe Leon didn't talk enough. I don't know what it is exactly, but like a lot of people don't give Leon his just dues, right? As far as notoriety and stuff like that. Um, so I could see them, even though he's number three, because he doesn't have a popularity of, 
you know, say uh, an Usman or a Colby or something like that, or the name recognition and the popularity of Tyron, they might make him fight another fight before they get to Usman. And he wants to stay busy anyway, so it, it might even be a middleweight, you know what I mean? And then maybe give him the title shot. But uh, I think that's going to be, honestly, more what it is, is if he beats Leon, how does it look? And would Usman be ready for a pretty quick turnaround, depending on how the fight goes, you know, as far as if he needs time to heal and recover and all that. And the Usman fight's been postponed. Um, apparently, he's he's been injured, and that fight's not going to happen until early next year. So, I mean, if, if Hamzad beats Leon Edwards, you, you might be right that he goes back and faces maybe a Chris Weidman or something at middleweight to try to improve his standing in that particular division. Yeah, I mean, you know, from everything he said, and so far, the what he's done... He doesn't like to sit around and wait too much, so he's going to try and get back on that horse as soon as he can. And I know he was talking about, he called out, uh, who was he called out? Stephen Thompson, he called out Chris Weidman, uh, I forget who else there was. And there was a couple guys, like Magny said he would fight him. I could see them uh, having those two fight, you know, if something happens with Leon or if Usman's not ready yet. Or maybe even they get real crazy, say Hamzat beats Leon, you know, they have him fight somebody for an interim title if Usman's going to be out that long and then have him square off if he wins that. I could see that being a possibility, too. And now when, when you look ahead, um, or sorry, when you look back to that card that you were on with Woodley and, and Covington, what do you think went wrong with Tyron's game plan against, uh, against Colby in that particular fight? Because that was a fairly one-sided affair itself as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't really know because I was kind of, you know, licking my own wounds, so to speak, after that. You know, I was uh, I was pretty pretty upset with myself that I didn't do what I had set out to do. And then I, I did see most of Tyron's fight. I didn't see quite all of it. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I would think just from seeing how he looked in camp and, you know, knowing him and stuff like that, uh, I would think that there's got to be something mentally that you know maybe he thought about it the wrong way or just getting in the way of letting himself like be you know fight the way he can fight because you know athletically technically knowledge-based the guy's got all the gifts you know what i mean he he knows what he's doing in every aspect of the game he's got a good high-level collegiate background yeah he he hits like a ton of bricks He's got to be one of the fastest guys. And his cardio was great. I mean, I was there for, like, you know, the last little part of his camp. The guy had plenty of gas. So I would think something mentally was, you know, going on. But I don't know for sure. That's something you'd have to ask him. Dana White said something interesting recently. He said that Tyron was the most difficult person he's ever worked with in terms of uh, running the UFC. He said this to uh, radio disc jockey in, uh, in, in Abu Dhabi, of all people. But uh, the guy had asked him, who's the most difficult guy you've ever worked with? And he said it was Tyron, which kind of surprised me. But uh, do you think if Tyron could do a lot of things over again that he would, he would change the way he, I, I guess, maybe handled himself as a champion? I know that there were a lot of complications in terms of uh, negotiations. Uh, that being said, Tyron was the most active champion at that time. There's this revisionist history, for whatever reason, that Tyron was this inactive champion. Of all the champions at that time, in the span of when he won the belt to when he lost the belt, I believe, he was the most active champion of any division, which is, I, I find it strange that he's become this, you know, target of ire for some reason. Yeah. 
No, so first, that's kind of funny that Dana White says that because he just must completely forget like that he had to deal with Tito Ortiz at one point. <laughs> unless, yeah. unless their beef was like mostly just show. I don't, you know, I don't know. I thought that was going to be his answer uh, for sure when he was asked the question, was Tito. Right. Yeah, like they were supposed to box each other at one point, weren't they? Mm-hmm, yeah. Like, obviously you're not seeing completely eye-to-eye if you're like, yeah, let's just fight each other and figure it out. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, as far as his dealings with the UFC, I only know what little I heard because, like, you know, anytime I hung out with him, we're talking about other stuff. We're training. You know, we're working. Uh, you know, I don't know that he'd do anything differently because, you know, four-time welterweight champion. He was, one, of, you know, during his run, one of the most dominant champions in the sport. Like you said, very active. Which, again, especially at the time, a lot of people were giving him guff because, you know, he'd have a fight and then have to, like, he would just be honest and say, hey, I have this injury, I got a nurse back before I come back, and then everyone would complain. It's like, that's a pretty standard, and I think maybe it's just because, you know, especially the way Tyron is on his social media, at that time he was letting people in a lot, like he started Champ Camp. Um, very active on Instagram and stuff and the live videos and, like, giving people a sneak peek, which, you know, was kind of a, not something I had seen done a lot before. But maybe that had something to do with it. But And not only that, he was fighting the guys that people wanted to see him fight. Like, everybody wanted to see him fight Wonder Boy. They wanted to see Wonder Boy get a shot. He fought him twice. And, you know, Wonder Boy was, you know, he's still beating most everybody. You know what I mean? And then he fought Maya when everyone, you know, Maya was on a tear and everyone thought he should get a shot. And then he fought Till when Till was like all this hype and like right there. He was undefeated at the time, wasn't he? Yeah. Pretty sure. Yeah. Undefeated, big hype train behind him. And everyone thought that was going to be the next big thing. He fought him. And every single time he's like, I don't know what it was. Maybe because he's honest about like, what he wants business-wise, or he just won't, you know, he definitely wasn't a company man, I'll say that. But I don't know that he would do anything differently because I feel like, you know, and again, you'd have to ask him, but I feel like for him being anything but genuine to yourself, you know, uh, that's the only way he can live his life, and I respect that. Well, I'll preface this by saying it's ridiculous that people feel this way, but I think a lot of the reasons why people didn't like Tyron was because he kept calling out GSP and Connor and Habib and all of these big fights, but that's what you want in a promotional sport is to have the big fights, but for whatever reason, people took offense to Tyron kind of calling his shot with, with bigger names that were not in his division, not available, retired at the time, uh, etc., and for whatever reason, that made people upset that he was calling those people out instead of trying to fight like the next best guy in the division. Right, and really, I mean... You know, he, he, like I said, he did end up fighting the next best guy in this division every single time. Like, the fight that everyone wanted to see within the division anyway happened. So it's like, why wouldn't you keep calling out other people? And really, I, and now Usman won. He looked good in their fight. Can't deny that. But for that fifth fight, you know, what do you think would have sold more? Woodley versus Usman or Woodley versus a GSP or somebody else like that? You know what I mean? I think it would have done a lot more... You know, for every metric you could measure, if it was one of these bigger names that either came out of retirement or if they let him move up and fight at the fight at 85 or something like that. But again, I, you know, that's just that's just me thinking out loud. But yeah, I don't uh, I don't get all the Woodley hate. I don't know. Like, I, I think 
that there is maybe a small part of it that has to do with, you know, uh, it's the old, uh, old archetype. People don't like an outspoken black champion. You know, it rubs some people the wrong way. I never saw anything he did uh, as putting himself in a position where, you know, you shouldn't like him because no matter what he said, end of the day, he still fought the guys that he was supposed to fight. So I don't, I don't see the problem with that. Yeah, I mean, the Nate Diaz fight, from what I understand, was fairly close, and I think he would have gotten a lot of flack for taking that fight, but, like, it would have been a big fight. Yeah, right. Well, and now look what, you know, Nate, Nate Diaz went out and fought Connor, and they were getting mad at him for calling him out. Like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, Gerald, it's always great speaking with you, catching up with you, uh, wishing you all the best uh, in your recovery, and uh, look forward to seeing you again. I guess it's early next year, but hopefully we speak uh, long before that time. Uh, it's always great catching up. Hey, we definitely will. Good talking to you, Aaron. A big thank you to our guests, Anderson Silva, Uriah Hall, Bobby Green, and Gerald Mearshart for their time this week. If you have not yet checked out the other podcast that we put out this week, it's myself, Bazooka Joe Valtellini, talking about the latest news, debates, recaps, previews in the world of MMA. We talked about who the greatest of all time is, and uh, him and I tend to agree on a lot of these subjects, which doesn't make for the most compelling debate, but it does make for a great conversation, and I always enjoy conversing with my colleague, Bazooka Joe Valtellini. So if you have not yet checked that out, please go to wherever you find your podcast, wherever you found this show, uh, and you can subscribe to the TSN MMA show. Check that out, and uh, we always appreciate your patronage. Next week, more MMA to cover, and tonight, Bellator. You got Douglas Lima. Gegard Mousasi for the middleweight title. Douglas Lima trying to become a two-division champion in Bellator. And uh, to do that, he's going to have to beat one of the great middleweights in the world today, Gegard Mousasi. So that should be a fun one. A solid boxing match uh, this weekend. Gervonta, Tank Davis, Leo Santa Cruz. So if you're into boxing, uh, that's a good one. And, of course, the retirement fight for Anderson Silva. Although, if you listen to the interviews with Anderson Silva, including the one that you just heard on this show, it doesn't seem like this is a concrete retirement declaration but uh, we'll see what Anderson Silva still has left in the tank this weekend when he takes on Uriah Hall looking forward to that one greatly you can also check out all of the different uh, betting content that we have on TSN Edge I put together some videos to uh, preview all of this weekend's uh, card so tune into that as well uh, appreciate you for tuning in and uh, we will be back next week with uh, a recap of all of the different combat sports action as well as a preview of what's to come and of course great uh, conversation regarding the latest news and notes plus the interview show which you've just tuned into so a lot of MMA coverage always from your folks here at TSN <laughs>